0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm thankful for the word of God. I'm thankful for this word in particular because this is something that we can all identify with and if you haven't identified with this particular message that we're going to talk about today, it is for you today. Let's all stand. We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 37. I know all of y'all are thinking we're about to preach on the dry bones. That's partly true. There's actually a couple scriptures that uh, I haven't heard too many, talk, too many people talk about. But Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 12. We're gonna read 12 through 14 and then we're gonna take a step back and come back to the scripture in just a second. But it starts off this way. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God. It's hard to get through that, that the first part of the prophecy here. Behold, O oh my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O oh my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for opening the grave in my life. Thank you for calling me forth out of death and into life. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for this prophecy. Thank you for the promise of your spirit in my heart. God, we're so thankful today and humbled by this promise. Who are we, God, that you're mindful of us? Who are we, Jesus, that you've made such a promise and commitment to us, God? Thank you for your spirit, Lord, and we'll cherish it forever until we get to be with you for all of eternity. Thank you for opening the grave in our life, Jesus. Thank you, God, for allowing us to walk out of the grave that had a hold on us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's not much more you can say, but thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for pulling me out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you for resurrecting my soul. Thank you, God, for for pulling me out of death. Thank you, God, for pulling me out of the grave and allowing me to sit in heavenly places. I was under the dirt in the grave, and Lord, you've lifted me up. Thank you for allowing me to sit in heavenly places with you, God. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Man, God is so good. He's so good. So good. I don't even want to move on from this moment right now. This is just being in the presence of God. Let's lift our hands and accept that word from the Lord right now. Father, you have spoken directly to us, Jesus. We bring our brokenness to you. We bring the areas in our life that we thought were too far gone. We bring our soul to you, Jesus. And we ask that you would make us a new creature today. Form us into your image once again, God. Make us into what you want us to be. We ask your will to be done And God, if there's any surgery that needs to be performed on our hearts, I pray you'd do it right now as we're open and responding to your word. Your word says that it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of joints and marrow and and soul and spirit and is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God, let your word do a work on us today. Make us new in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can all be seated. What a promise. Book of Ezekiel, what a promise. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. You know, something that scripture reveals to us in Genesis chapter three is the effects of what sin does to a relationship between God and humanity. Then in Genesis chapter three, we see the what's called the fall of man, most Christian circles, and and we see um, Adam and Eve, eating of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God told them, you can have everything else, just not this one. Everything else is yours for food, just not this one. And if you study the scripture, you know that the, uh, that the serpent that came, uh, had, he came with honeyed words and a silver tongue, and he twisted what God had said, to cause confusion and, and ultimately we know that Adam and Eve were both there together. Eve or um, Adam was not deceived, but Eve was and, and they both ate of the fruit and this is what we call the fall of man. This is where sin entered the world for the very first time. Humans had from beginning when God created them the choice, freedom of choice, free will because at least this is, you know, my thought is that God made humans different from angels and gave them free will so they could choose to be in a relationship with God because that's, that's real love is choosing to be in a relationship with God, not being forced. So humans had free will and this is where they chose to make a decision that was contrary to what God had said. This is called the sin of disobedience. And this was the very first time that this happened and the result was an uh, immediate severing of the relationship between humanity and their creator. We see from context that Adam and God had to have had a tight relationship because the way that God called out to Adam after he had sinned uh, made it sound like they had a, an appointed time that they met and had communion and talked and enjoyed one another's company. And, uh, but then when Adam is not there, God starts calling out, Adam, where are you? We, essentially, we always meet at this time. Where'd you go? And our all-knowing God knew what was happening, but was trying to give an opportunity for repentance, was trying to give an opportunity to, create, to his creation to come back and seek his face and say, hey, I messed up, you know, I need you, God. But Adam, because that relationship severed, all of a sudden he was shameful and scared to be around God, because he knew that he had messed up, that there was something wrong in his heart, that, and he couldn't stand in the presence of God like he normally could, being blameless and without sin, and now there was a separation, there was a gap that sin created, and this caused a bunch of curses as well. I know Pastor talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Adam and Eve sinned, resulted in in a number of of bad things. Animals had to die to clothe them. Uh, They were separated from God. The ground was cursed. And Adam now had to work by the sweat of his brow to to eat bread that he would have to grow and, and toil over. And then there's the curse of the pain in childbirth on Eve's side that yeah, could you imagine that? Childbirth not having any pain? That's what it would, I mean, that's what it was supposed to be like, but, but again, that was a consequence of sin. And, and then also, um, Satan was cursed. Now, this one wasn't a bad thing because Satan received the curse of defeat, that he was gonna be defeated once and for all. But since sin entered the world, we, we, we can see its effects on humanity. Sin causes death to happen, not just physical. We know that, you know, Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. So uh, just keep this in mind as we're talking today. Every human body, the flesh of a human has to die, and that's a consequence of sin. But other death happens too, spiritual death. When a human partakes in sinful behavior, spiritual death happens, and that's That's the separation from God. It starts here, but it's also a separation
1: for eternity. Spiritual bondage. Prisons that get built around a human.
0: The consequences of sinful behaviors. So that's spiritual. Then we also see physical. We talked about physical death already, but the reason why there's pain and sickness in the world. is all the way back because sin is now here. Not necessarily that you sinned, so now you're gonna get sick, but the fact that there is sickness is a consequence, physical consequence of sin all the way back when it began. People don't think about this one, but emotional and mental death, the slow degrade of of thought process, the slow degrade of Emotional stability all comes from sin. Bad relationships, unreliable emotions, rage, hatred, consequence of sin. Mental prisons that, that we put ourselves in, it's all consequence of sin. And James uh, reveals something to us. James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, I'm going to read this one in the Amplified It says, but each one is tempted when he's dragged away, enticed and baited to commit sin by his own worldly desire, which is lust and passion. We all have to deal with that part. Then when the illicit desire, or if you have King James, it's lust, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. Do not be misled, my brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers and sisters. James is revealing something to the early church and and this guy, he had a powerful voice in the early church. I mean, read the book of James, the younger brother of Jesus. The core theme of the book of James is that spiritual maturity comes through enduring hardship. Thus, he talks about lust in chapter one and talks about how everybody is tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Let me just say that. Temptation is not a sin. Those desires, unfortunately, we have to deal with those fleshly desires that are contrary to the word of God. And that's because, uh, as scripture says, we're born and shapen in iniquity. We're humans of a fallen nature. We've inherited that fallen nature all the way back from Adam and Eve. And now we deal with temptations that want to lead us astray, that want to separate us from God. And it's because... Our flesh is inherently sinful. Our flesh is. We'll talk about the spirit in just a minute. But James here is describing the progression of sin, what goes on in somebody's heart before sin actually happens. So he talks about each one is tempted and it feels like you're being drugged away and enticed and baited away from God. And then if that temptation is brought forth in somebody's life, or in other words, if somebody acts on that temptation, that sinful desire, then it becomes sin. And let me say this, sin, what is sin? We talk about, you know, we probably don't talk about sin all that much actually, but what is sin? It's really just missing the mark that God has set. Everybody sins because everybody misses the mark. If living perfectly is the target, we are to shoot for that target with the best ability that we have to live according to the way that God has set down our life to be in scripture, but we're still gonna miss every once in a while. So we still deal with that stuff. But there's a difference between slipping and living in sin. Living in sin is missing the mark all the time with no regard to what? Christ has said that our life is supposed to be, but James is revealing this, and he's talking about how this lust comes, and everybody is tempted. Everybody has lusts and desires that are contrary to God, but then when that lust is conceived or acted on, you can say it that way, um, it gives birth to death or to sin, and when sin has run its course, sin gives birth to death. So if you look, y'all know I like to study the Greek and I love the, the history and the cultural context behind all these scriptures, but if you study this word death, what it literally means is the misery of the soul arising from sin, beginning in this life, but lasts and increases after the death of the body. So it's not just talking about dying at the end of your life, no, it's saying that As sin is brought forth in somebody's life, there is a progression of death that happens all the way through eternity. You continue to die, is a way you could say it. Sin causes you to continually die, whether mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever, spiritually. You continue to die until the end of your life, and then if that sin is still there and there's uh, still a separation between God and man, It's what's called the second death. I know this is heavy, y'all. Please stay with me, okay? But it's called the second death, an eternal separation from God. And as this Greek points out, that this death lasts throughout our lifetime, but increases the misery after the physical death.
1: I wanna be in eternity with Jesus one day. Let me say, this whole description of sin is not the
0: way that God wants you to live. This whole description of sin is not the way that we have to live. We're not bound by this because we have promises like in Ezekiel that God has opened the grave. You don't have to die anymore. You can be called out of the grave now. This is the powerful part of this message because living in sin is living in death and living in death is like being in a grave that is cold and dark and six feet under and it's isolated and it's lonely and it seems like there's no hope and everything looks bleak and you can't see your hand in front of your face. That's what it's like living in sin. But look at this. If we go back to Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel chapter 37, let me give you a high level recap because I know you, most of us have heard the, the vision that Ezekiel had with the valley of dry bones. But let me just set, let me set some context. Is it, am I gonna mess up the camera if I step down a little bit? Is that okay? <laughs> okay, so this is, this is the vision of Ezekiel. God takes him to this valley and there's all kinds of bones, not just any bones, but dried out, sun-parched bones, meaning they've been there for a long time. And scripture says that God caused Ezekiel to pass by the bones. What that really means is God caused Ezekiel to walk right through the middle of that valley so he was ankle deep in everybody else's death. He was ankle deep in all the bones. And now God tells him to prophesy. Prophesy and tell the bones to come together, basically. And they do. There's this huge sound and it's loud and um You know, it causes this huge disturbance, but ultimately these bones, they come back together and skin and muscle and organs, they're all put back on this bone. But now Ezekiel is standing in the middle of a bunch of dead bodies because there wasn't life in them yet. They were were dead still. They were just a little bit better than being sun-parched, dry bones. They at least had some moisture in them now. But then God says... Prophesy to the wind and tell the wind to enter into the nostrils of these bones. So then, when he does this, God causes the winds of all the directions to sweep into this valley and into uh, the nostrils of these bodies, just like God, when he created man, breathed the breath of life into Adam, the same picture here. But now it's the army of Israel. And the army stands up straight and is alive now. And there's hope. And God says to Ezekiel, see now, this is the hope of the children of Israel. Their their hope is dead and it's like dry bones, but I will cause it to come back to life. And that's that's usually where people end the preaching on this scripture. But look at this. Ezekiel chapter 37, the scriptures that I read to you that, that is a third prophecy that God tells Ezekiel to preach. Most people talk about the two, the bones coming back together and then the breath going into them. But this is still the same vision. God tells him, "'Therefore prophesy and say to them, the living army of Israel, say to them, "'Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves "'and bring you into the land of Israel. "'Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves.'" I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. In my opinion, this one's the most powerful of all three of those prophecies because this is hope. This is God saying, you are going to know that I have that I have delivered you, that I've saved you because everything will look dead, but I will roll the stone away from your grave and I will call you to come out of your grave and I will put my spirit in you and you can live above the sin of this world. You can live a victorious life.
1: All right, I'm, I'm getting loud, I know
0: that. I know I'm getting loud. Ezekiel was commanded to utter this prophecy. And today, if you listen, that prophecy is echoing all throughout the generations. This, yes, was a prophecy for the children of Israel, but was also a prophecy for all people. I will put my spirit in you, is what God was saying. There's going to come a time where your graves are going to open, and I will call you out of them, and I will put my spirit in you. Romans chapter eight, verses nine through 11 say this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. We're spiritual beings. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his, meaning he doesn't belong to Jesus. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Our flesh is going to die one day. That's what he's saying. But the spirit, capital S, the spirit of God is what he's talking about. The spirit is life because of righteousness, not sin, but righteousness. But if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. A promise of God. What happened to Jesus He was crucified on the cross by his own people. He was whipped, beaten, mocked. He was uh, ashamed. Lakin asked me to tell her the story about the crown of thorns, so I told her about that. But all of this stuff happened to Jesus, rejected by his own people, bled, uh, essentially, all the blood that was in his body, he was beaten and, and, and whipped and stabbed so many times that all of it was gone pretty much by the time he was buried. But he endured all of that, And then gets buried in a tomb. Does anybody know by who? Joseph of Arimathea and good old Nicodemus. Anybody, y'all know that? Nicodemus.
1: Anyways, Jesus is in the tomb. And it looked like a hopeless scenario. Think about it. Somebody you just spent, what was it, three years
0: of your life with, following, watching him do miracles and signs and wonders, and hearing him say words that only God could say, like the paralytic that was uh, let down in the, in the roof, and Jesus said, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Like hearing these, these words and, these, and seeing these prophecies come to life and these miracles, and then all of a sudden, the guy that you've been following is Killed. Killed. I mean, I don't necessarily know about the disciples, but a lot, pretty much all the Israelites thought the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Romans and you know, establish them as the, the main kingdom on the earth. But Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to seek and save that which was lost, to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. But then he's dead, sitting in a tomb. I, I wonder what those days
1: were like, the three days that they sat. And nothing happened. But then, one day, what was it, Mary? Uh,
0: I can't remember the other lady. Who was it? Salome, Mary and Salome, coming to visit the tomb, right? They See something. I see something. The tomb is empty now.
1: The stone rolled away. And an angel comes to them and says, why why are you looking for the living among the dead? Go and tell everybody what you saw. That's what the angel said.
0: You know what's really powerful about this? Even though it's not Easter, we're talking about a risen Savior today. I hope that's okay. Because honestly, resurrection is one of the core Uh, anchors of Scripture is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of a sinner's soul into new life. But a risen Savior, a risen Jesus, the stone is rolled away. Think about this for a second, because Jesus does that same thing in every one of our lives. When we encounter the presence of God and we find ourselves locked in that grave of sin, that cold, dark place where there just seems like there's no hope and we start to encounter the presence of God, all of a sudden that stone
1: rolls away and you just see through the doorway light the first time, the first time.
0: And this is Jesus' invitation. This invitation extends to you today.
1: The stone is rolled away, the hand of Jesus outstretched come out of there, come out of there. You don't have to live that way, come out. You know,
0: when Paul is writing to the Romans, he shows what it means to walk out of the grave. First, when a human is without the spirit of God, it's flesh, it's nothing but a bag of bones and a sinful nature, and without the spirit, a human is not the son of God. And without the spirit, a human is stuck in the grave. And Jesus gives us the answer. Jesus shows us in, in John chapter 3, verse 5, what you have to do to get out of the grave. Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly, solemnly say to you, unless you're born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The way out of the grave. But second, If the spirit is in your heart, as Paul says, the body has to die because of sin. We already understand that. But our soul lives forever with Jesus. We begin eternity, as Sister Calhoun said a couple weeks ago in spirit life, we begin eternity today. We get to experience that newness of life today. We get to enjoy the presence of God today. We don't have to wait till eternity. That happens right now. And then uh, everybody, even though we have to taste death, that is not the end. And here's the good news. Even though sin puts us in the grave, the Spirit of God gives us the power to walk out of the grave. Even though we find ourselves in the grave, we can make the decision, I'm walking out today. I'm not staying here any longer. I'm coming with you, Jesus. I accept your invitation. I'm walking out of the grave today. I want to tell somebody right now that if you find yourself in a place in your life where it's dark and isolated and depressing and whatever, I'm telling you, walk out of the grave today. Because that invitation, Jesus is standing there. Come with me. You don't have to live that way choose to walk out the same God that raised Jesus from the dead will resurrect your human soul to eternal life walk out with Jesus today 2 Timothy verses 1, 8 through 10 say, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I wanna talk about this word abolish for a second because when you study that out in the Greek, what it means is to be made of none effect. That when Jesus resurrected on that third day, he created a pathway for the human soul to now walk through repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus and to be filled with his spirit, which is us being resurrected in newness of life. So what Jesus did was the most powerful thing that could happen to a human. He made the punishment of sin of none effect. He basically canceled the debt of sin on everyone's life through his sacrifice and his resurrection. So now when we say that he's abolished death, death, Oh, death, where is your sting, as the scripture says? It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what happens in this life because to die is gain now. We get to be with Jesus forever when this life is over. He's made death of none effect. And then Jesus also said in John 11, verses 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That seems like an oxymoron. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks a question. Do you believe this? I'll ask you today. Do you believe this? Because this is what scripture says. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If anybody follows him,
1: as scripture says, he who believes in me, though he may die, shall live forever. I have a couple more scriptures. I wasn't planning on running through all these, but I think it's, it's worth doing. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Um, you've probably heard me talk about this
0: scripture in spirit life uh, in relation to Jesus' drop the mic moment. That's, that's what I call it in Luke when Jesus read this prophecy, verses one and two. <laughs> and uh, But we're, we're just gonna go verse three real quick. Actually, you know what? Seth, could y'all get verse one for me and start one, two, and three, Seth and Eden? Thank you. When it's up there, I'll read it because it's not in my notes. Isaiah chapter 61, verse one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Or in other words, rolling the stone away from the grave, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And then verse three, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. You know, when I felt the direction for this message, uh, you know, Sister Calhoun texted me and she's like, do you have a title? I said, yep, here it is. And then she texted me back and said, did you know that we're opening with Graves into Gardens today? I had no clue, but God did. And there's... That uh, that bridge quotes this scripture to give them beauty for ashes. There's an exchange that happens when you live when you start to live with God. When you start to live for God, there's this exchange that happens where there was destruction, where there was ruin, He replaces it with something beautiful. Where there was mourning and sadness and depression, He replaces it with the joy of the Lord. Where there was heaviness and oppression and darkness, he lightens the load and gives you a garment of praise to be able to praise through the darkness no matter what comes against you. And then he wraps it all up with saying that they may be called trees of righteousness. In other words, immovable servants of God that have been planted by the very
1: hands of God. Not for our glory, for his glory. That people
0: will see the testimony, what God has done in a believer's life. And all that testimony does is just scream Jesus to the world. It's a beacon of hope, it's a beacon of light that says, you know what? God gave me an invitation to walk out of my grave and now that invitation is extended to every person who sees your testimony, to every person who knew how you were before Christ and see how you are living for Christ. It's an invitation to walk out of the
1: grave. Let's all stand. Here's how you do it. Acts chapter two, verse 38 and 39.
0: I remember uh, somebody told me one time that everything, uh, what did they say? I can't remember. We're just gonna go to Acts chapter two. (laughs) Lost my train of thought. Acts chapter two, verse 38 through 39. This scripture never gets tired, people. Then Peter said to them, repent, repent, And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. That sounds very similar to what Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Be born of water and of spirit because this is the way out of the grave. Jesus rolls the stone away, and he gives you an invitation. You do not have to live this way, and this is how you get out of that grave. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, because that removes sin, and then be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the resurrection. That is the soul being resurrected from the dead, and now coming into newness of life. God is still calling. That's what verse 39 is saying. God is still calling. This promise was not just for the day of Pentecost when the church was born. This promise was not just for the early church followers. This promise is for everybody, every generation, every tongue, every nation. There are no exceptions. Anybody can uh, be born into the family of God. Anybody doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter who you are, don't matter what your family name is. It doesn't matter what country you came from, doesn't matter what language you spoke. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you were grown up in, what you grew up in. It doesn't matter what your culture says. Everybody is can be a child of God. Everybody deserves that invitation to walk out of the grave. Everybody. And you know what? We see this in the book of Revelation. First off, let's talk, let's establish who Jesus is. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus talking, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the Almighty God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 through 18. And when I saw him, this is John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus won a monumental war when he rose again on the third day. Because when he did that, He established his authority over hell and death. That's what he's saying right here is, I have the keys of death and hell. Oh, death, where is your sting? Then Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This invitation to walk out of the grave today is for everybody. God is building his church, and right here we see he is going to have a church. He is going to have a people who before were not a people, but now have become the people of God, of all nations, tribes, tongues, cultural backgrounds, everybody worshiping the same God in unity, thanking him for salvation, for the resurrection of the soul, thanking him for uh, abolishing death. Everybody, this invitation is for everyone. What better way to end a message like this than to invite everybody to the front? Here's an invitation. Come to the front. The reason why we do this, or at least my thought, is it's a step of faith. We're making ourselves vulnerable and open for what God wants to do. So that's the first invitation is come on down to the altar. The second invitation is if you're still in the grave or if you feel like you're still in a grave. Jesus has already rolled the stone away for you just as he did. And he's got his arm extended saying, hey, You don't have to live this way. Walk out with me today. That's what Jesus says. Walk out of the grave with me today. Make that decision to walk out of your grave. In Jesus' name, let's lift up the name of the Lord together. Thank you, Father, for all that you do. Thank you, Jesus, for rolling the stone away and you getting up out of the grave so now we can get up too. Your resurrection defeated death and hell. So now we, our souls can be resurrected into newness of life. We do not have to live in the grave. We do not have to live with the chains that sin puts on us. We don't have to live with generational curses that were perpetuated by sin. We don't have to live that way anymore, God. You've given us a way out. Your your hand is extended, Jesus, and you're just calling out today walk out of the grave come with me take my hand Jesus make us new make us new Jesus oh father you are so good I know God you're going to do a work in somebody's life that's going to change them forever from this point on we're new from this point on we're made new God oh we're so thankful thank you Thank you, Jesus. That's all that, I, that we can really say is thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the way out of sin. Thank you for the way into eternal life. Thank you for a way into the kingdom of God so we can be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.